0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome and thank you for joining me here today. My name is Micah, one of the pastors here at the Vine Church in Pasco, Washington. Spring has sprung and I'm pretty excited. We got the community garden going this year and uh, there's such beautiful potential in that. Really excited about that, as well as a number of community partnerships that are developing. I am excited for this season to come. And maybe I'm especially excited because my family and I got to go on a trip last week for seven or eight days and we experienced snorkeling and surfing and beaches and it was just wonderful and we feel so thankful to have been able to do that so here we are at a sunday morning and we are going to dig into um scripture as we do every sunday morning but today on the liturgical calendar is pentecost sunday this is a day that we remember a story that can be found in acts chapter 2 It's the story of the Holy Spirit coming on the apostles and the followers of Jesus in power in the beginning of the church. Now, before we dive in, I want to set a little bit of a stage for what we'll be experiencing and reading about today. Pentecost was a part of um, the the Feast of Weeks, was what it's called. And it was a celebration in Israel of first harvests of wheat and of first fruit. And so Israelites would come together to celebrate this. Now, those that could would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate it. And some would come from hundreds of miles on foot to be in Jerusalem for the celebration. Now, this is a particularly interesting one because it comes just a little over a month after Jesus' crucifixion. Now, word had spread, so the people coming to Jerusalem, they'd, for the past three years, been asking the question, Who is this man Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one that will redeem Israel? Is he our king? And they got an answer that many of them came to say yes, but not the king maybe that we had expected from the beginning. And so, uh, Jesus was crucified, hung on a Roman cross uh, a little over a month ago. And yet, there's also rumors spreading that he's been appearing to people. He's still alive. Could it be resurrection? That's the story that's going around for those that are willing to listen to it. And so, here we are at Pentecost, uh, Some. 50 days after his crucifixion and some 10 days after then his ascension. Uh, he and a number of his followers um, uh, witness as Jesus ascends into heaven and he gives them this one command. He says, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on you. So stay in Jerusalem. Now, 10 days later, they're at this feast, this uh, Pentecost event, and, um, and they're still waiting. Ten days later, since they've seen Jesus, when will the Holy Spirit come? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right. So the event has begun. His followers are gathered in this house. They're still waiting on the Holy Spirit. And the spirit comes in a wind and we don't get much of an idea of what that would have sounded like to an Israelite ear listening to this text. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for spirit is also the word for wind or breath. And so we hear it as here at Pentecost, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. The Holy Spirit has come to this place. And it describes these tongues of fire that are above their heads. And I can't say exactly what this is. I do know that it kind of would draw an Israelite person's mind back to the Exodus story in which God led them at nighttime by a pillar of fire. Maybe this is some indication or some allusion to that sort of a thing. And yet the Holy Spirit comes in what appears to be tongues of fire. And I love the description of what happens with these. It says they separated and came to rest on all of their heads. It's like all of what's happening in this place in this moment is a part of one thing. The Spirit of God has come to this place and has distributed itself, himself, herself amongst the people in this place. And so uh, they begin speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, the New Testament speaks of speaking in tongues in a couple of different ways, and you can read Paul's letters speaking about these. It speaks of two different things. Uh, one conversation about speaking in tongues in the New Testament has to do with like a language between our spirit and God. It's uh, somewhat undiscernible language that uh, is like the deepest, um, uh, emotion and, and conversation and interaction with God. The other conversation of speaking in tongues in Scripture has to do with what I think a plain reading of this text would describe, which is speaking another language, a miraculous event that enables people that wouldn't otherwise be able to communicate to communicate. And so they begin speaking in tongues in other languages. verse 5, the story continues. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these, um, I'm sorry, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? It goes on in verses 9 through 11 to speak of 15 different nations represented, at least here, uh, the Parthians and the Medes and the residents of Mesopotamia. And I won't read all those and butcher all of those names, Um, but there's people from all these nations shocked. It says in verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine well it is after all a festival uh so but that is not the explanation that peter will give in just a minute we'll get there in one moment there's this jewish gathering of global proportions people from all corners of the earth from all different nations throughout the earth have come to jerusalem for this feast and the holy spirit shows up There's something really beautiful about what happens here as they begin speaking another language. I think we see the heart of God for a diverse people in this text, in the way this miracle comes to be, right? A a lot of scholars speak of this text as like the reversal of the Tower of Babel. If you read in Genesis chapter 11, the story of uh, the Tower of Babel, it's a story in which uh, a, a people have chosen to make a great name for themselves. And so they build this big tower um, and God disrupts their task by making it impossible for them to communicate. He confuses their languages and this quite the opposite. In this first moment, remember Jesus has promised his followers, stay here in Jerusalem till you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first demonstration of power by the Holy Spirit found here in Acts chapter 2 is an ecumenical, beautiful, multicultural event in which different languages are spoken so that people in their heart language are able to hear the good news that Peter is about to preach. You know, I I have to pause just a moment and recognize, well, this uh, first event taking place as the church is beginning is so multicultural and languages are are, uh, highly valued and people's cultures are brought in in unique and beautiful ways. The church has not always operated in this way. As we look back at both Western and church history, we see devastating activity involving colonization or crusades in which other people groups, indigenous peoples were not respected and not cared for and not, and this sort of care and concern and value in the diversity has not existed. And so we have to repent of that. And I want to really just take this moment to draw our attention. To this first miraculous event of the Holy Spirit as the church is beginning and to see how diverse and how beautiful it was and how it respected and valued and drew in different peoples, different languages in this moment. Now, I also want to point out, because I think it's easy to miss this, that these were God fearing Jewish people from all these different nations. The nation of uh, Israel had been dispersed now for some time, and they were living throughout the world, Jewish people throughout the world. It also mentions that there were converts to Judaism uh, that came and worshipped during this feast as well. But people from many different uh, languages, many different places in the world are here And we see that uh, we see this play out as the Holy Spirit allows each of them to hear this good news in their own language. Now, at the very end there, it says some people thought uh, they'd just been drinking too early in the day. And so Peter steps up to address the crowd and he's going to preach the first sermon the church gets to hear. Um, and, uh, and we have recorded for us uh, a good bit of what Peter had to say on that day. He says, nope, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Pretty good argument. And then he goes on to say, what you're experiencing is what the prophet Joel prophesied about. He said this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Again, we see this idea of this an egalitarian men and women, all people will receive the Holy Spirit and they will prophesy. And Peter's saying, that's what you're experiencing here it's been promised we've been waiting for this time when the holy spirit would come in mass and we would experience the holy spirit now when we look back at the holy spirit throughout scripture uh, mentioned in creation throughout the old testament although in the old testament we primarily read about the holy spirit coming to particular people to accomplish particular tasks and so you can you see the holy spirit throughout scripture but there was this promise that we read of here by Joel. There was this promise by Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come. You see, in the Old Testament, God would meet with his people in the tabernacle or in the temple. This would be the place that they would go to meet with God. And there was this holy of holies, a place where God would dwell. And only one time a year would a priest enter that place. But the promise of the Holy Spirit was that God would choose us as the temple, that God would dwell in inside of us and here we see it beginning to unfold these tongues of fire speaking in all sorts of language that good news can be shared with people the story continues and ben peter is continuing to address the crowd to preach to the crowd he said so this is the event that joel spoke of and he says fellow israelites listen to this jesus of nazareth nazareth Was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. So he starts with the humanity of Jesus. You know this man. This is 50 days after his death, right? You know this man. He walked here on earth, but he was accredited by God by the miracles, the wonders, and the signs. And he will, in fact, go on to describe in much more detail who Jesus is. He goes on in verse 24, he says, Uh, He had been crucified. Uh, They killed him by nailing him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised Jesus from the dead. Death could not keep its hold on him. And so there is in his sermon this question. He's acknowledging there's this question of, so who is Jesus? What is Jesus' identity? Is he God or is he man? And and of course, all the language of Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, and Spirit has not developed, but we see it throughout Scripture. And this here is Peter's argument. Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, he'll go on to say it very clearly in the later in his message. In verse 36, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, speaking to Israelites, you, God has made this Jesus, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, is Peter's argument. In all the miracles and the wind and the flames and the speaking in other languages, he wants people to hear this message. You crucified Jesus, and he is the Messiah. He was and he is the Messiah. As you can imagine, with all the signs and wonders and incredible things happen, they take seriously his words. It says in verse 37, and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Their promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. What shall we do? They're cut to the heart. Their hearts are in a place and a position in which they're willing to hear the, the reality of what they are complicit in. The crucifixion of the Messiah. Say, what do we do? We can't undo what has happened. And Peter invites them to repent. That is to turn around, to go in a new direction in life and be baptized. Receive forgiveness from your sins. Take on the name of Jesus Christ in baptism and receive the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that they're seeing act in powerful ways right now amongst the apostles. His invitation is now you repent, be baptized, receive forgiveness, and receive the Holy Spirit. And and I love his clarification. This promise is for you, all of you here right now listening to this message, seeing this take place at Pentecost. But it's also for your children, and it's for all who are far off. And that, my friends, is in fact you and I. Now, halfway around the world, 2,000 years later, we are invited to the same promise. Two weeks ago, we did Baptism Sunday and a number of people gave their lives to Jesus or stepped into a new season of their relationship with Jesus uh, in baptism. And it was a beautiful thing to witness and to be a part of because this promise applies to us. We are invited to receive the Holy Spirit. God would not, will not be far off. You won't just dwell in a temple or a church building. In fact, the invitation is that we receive God into our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would dwell inside of us, and we can live out of the life of a triune God. And so on that day, the church was born. In in fact, it says uh, in verse 41, those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is a big event. Talk about a a big day at church, right? 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ, and the church has begun. And what's fascinating is to imagine that those 3,000 people, many of them have traveled in from other nations, and now they're going to go home, and they're going to tell their families, Jesus has risen from the dead, and I have given my life to him. I'm choosing to live into a new kingdom, not just the nation of Israel, but a new kingdom, the kingdom of God that has come to earth. And and churches form in cities throughout the world, in people's homes, they begin together. In fact, I, I won't go there for time's sake, but at the end of chapter 2 in Acts, in verse 42, it speaks of um, the believers gathering together and breaking bread and praying together, enjoying the fellowship of each other, caring for each other's needs. It paints this beautiful picture of what began because the Holy Spirit came in power, and Peter and the apostles stood up, and they said, hey, we missed the mark. We crucified our Messiah, our King, our Savior, but he has risen from the dead. There is new hope. Receive him and receive the Holy Spirit. So what's our application today? I've been thinking about this uh, story in this text, and I've been thinking about the fact that God's plan didn't look exactly like what Israel hoped for. In fact, so much so that they ended up crucifying their Savior. And yet, the story would not end in death, but instead in resurrection and conquering death, in new life and in new hope, and in receiving the Holy Spirit participating in the church and God's work in this world. But none of that was what was expected. You know, it's easy to invite God to walk through life while we lead. Isn't it easy when we say, God, come along with me and thanks for helping out. But that's not really our position or the posture we're to take in relationship with God. None said it's quite hard to be led by God. And I imagine this nation of Israel, they're broken down and hurting and in desperate need. And yet there's these seasons throughout Israel's history of waiting on God. I mean, the 10 days after Jesus ascends until the Holy Spirit does come, right? Uh, Throughout Israel's history, the exilic period or the intertestamental period where the prophets have said a Messiah is coming, but 400 years later, we're still waiting. It's easy to invite God to follow us. It's hard to follow in his ways, to learn to wait and to learn to trust in him. When we have more time, I'd love to share with you more the story of um, planting this church and a dream and a hope and learning to wait on God and his timing in this journey. It's remarkable. It's remarkably hard for all of us in whatever journey we're on. And yet the story of Pentecost confirms for us that God is at work. That God is accomplishing his purposes. And the invitation of Pentecost is a, a realization and to live into this reality that the same spirit that showed up at Pentecost is active and alive in our lives. We are invited to live differently because Jesus rose from the dead and because God has chosen to dwell in each of us. Let's pray about that as we close today. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the remarkable events that have shaped world history. God, thank you for Jesus, for resurrection, for new hope, for the Holy Spirit coming in power and for the church. That though, God, we have missed the mark and we confess God, that you have been faithful to us, your people, the church, that we might get to participate in the beautiful things that you're doing in this world. So God, help us to be a people of hope and of love, a people that brings together diversity and finds healing in you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends, thank you for joining me today, and uh, we can't wait to see you again. Hope you have a blessed week. Bye-bye.